I think we just need people to get organized again and to remember, because I think many people are stunned by what's happening at the federal level. And I don't want you to be stunned. I don't even want you to be ticked off. I want you to act. That was Gina McCarthy, former administrator for the Environmental Protection Agency. Welcome to the Got Science podcast. I'm your host, Colleen McDonald. Being in Boston has its advantages when you're hoping to catch up with Gina McCarthy. A Massachusetts native, now working at the Harvard School of Public Health, Gina dropped by our Cambridge offices for a chat. Under Administrator Scott Pruitt, the EPA just isn't what it used to be. Since 1970, the agency has been issuing rules to protect the environment and therefore our health and safety. Clean air and clean water, it turns out, are pretty important to our well-being. But these days, it seems like Mr. Pruitt thinks the only things worth protecting are the wallets of his polluter friends. He's been trying and occasionally succeeding to roll back health safeguards since he took office. It's been hard to watch, especially because we know there are many EPA staff who are still invested in the agency's original mission. What's ahead for the EPA? How much damage can Mr. Pruitt do? And what isn't the agency doing that it should be? For example, providing drinking water to Puerto Rico, where Americans are still reeling from Hurricane Maria. All of us at Got Science are honored to welcome former EPA administrator, current Harvard University professor of public health, and proud UMass Boston alum, Gina McCarthy, to discuss her own tenure with the agency and the issues she sees now. Our correspondent, Derek Jackson, caught up with Gina to talk about the EPA's new leadership, Clean Power, and Flint, Michigan. Thank you, Gina, for joining us. The obvious question, given this opportunity, is what things were you most proud of at EPA that the uh, Trump administration and obviously most directly Administrator Pruitt are trying to dismantle? Well, let me just start by saying I'm really happy to be at UCS because I've been working with them for a long time and they're a really terrific group and and they're all scientists, you know, they just tell the facts. And I think just teeing that up to the question you, you asked, the thing that most bothers me about the administration now is their denial of science. And that goes well beyond climate change science. You know, they're really trying to take away the independence and the professionalism of EPA itself. And it's important to remember that EPA is a public health agency. That's what we do. And so that's why it's so important to have real facts. And and so I'm very proud of many things that we did um, at EPA under President Obama. But I think I'm most proud of the fact that everything we did was based on science. Some of those facts were difficult because they were testing political boundaries. They were challenging us to get people behind the work that we were doing. And we did the outreach we needed to explain to people why climate science is real, why it's important to you, what it means to public health, and what can we do and what are our options. And, and I think the actions like the work we did with the car industry to move forward on greenhouse gas emissions was important because it set the stage for things moving forward. But obviously, for me, the pivotal work that really changed the ability of the international community to see the United States as a real player on climate was the Clean Power Plan. And that's what I'm most proud of. With regard to public health, yeah. have you contemplated as each attempted rollback is issued 
clean power plant, relaxing rules on pesticides. Back uh, when you were issuing those uh, rules, they were followed or joined with predictions of how many lives would be saved, how many less hospital visits. Have you sat to contemplate how many lives would be lost or affected negatively with the rollbacks? Yeah, we, we have, because part of the challenge that we always face, for example, with the clean power plan is that we're looking at reducing pollution that impacts public health. That is what we do for a living. We're not the energy purveyors. But when we look at it, we want to make sure to recognize that energy is also an absolutely essential part of how we live healthy lives. You can't roll back energy systems or make them unreliable or make them so costly that the very communities that are most vulnerable, they're now facing a different hazard about costs they cannot manage through to keep their families safe. So when you do these rules, you think of all the options that actually both move public health and energy forward. And our measure of success is lives saved. It is reduced amount of asthma attacks in kids. It's reduced lost work days. This is how we measure our success. And for the things like the Clean Power Plan, we know that it, it made a significant reduction in carbon pollution, which is important for the stability of our planet. But it also saved thousands of lives every year. And so the challenge now for this administration is to explain why they would want to revisit a clean power plan, which follows the law, which follows the science, which saves lives and helps us to address the challenge of climate change. When the White House released its own report from scientists all across relevant agencies of the U.S. government that said that climate change is real and we have to take action now. And it will impact public health, national security. So it's really head scratching to figure out how they're going to argue that they want to revisit that in the face of thousands of lives being saved every year. Well, what do you think Pruitt does all day, given what you used to do all day? I don't know what he's doing, but apparently he's doing it in a new soundproof booth in his office, but I, I don't know what that's for either. But, you know, he's going to have to figure out what to do with his time. All I know is that the things that you hate in a bureaucracy when you want to move forward quickly are the same things you love when someone's proposing something that you think is contrary to the mission of the agency. And he's going to have a hard time rolling back the rules that we did because you can't just come in. You can have different policy decisions and inclinations. That's what elections are all about. And so President Trump has a right to look at different policies. He just doesn't have a right to upend everything that the Obama administration did. This is pretty unprecedented. And basically do it because I just don't like those things. So the way that I'm looking at the rollbacks is it's, it is a little bit personal. I have to admit that. These are in some ways my babies. But I'm more offended, frankly, by just the disregard for the way government is supposed to work and the certainty that you're supposed to provide, even to the business community. It's not right to have everything in flux. And it's not right to basically say I'm upending final rules that the business community and the rest of us are relying on to maintain public health as well as our economic structure moving forward. But to do it without articulating a single fault in the science a single fault in the law, a single fault in the record. That's just not how it works. 
I mean, is this an unprecedented attack on science and the validity of science? What's your comparison of what's happening now to any past attacks on science? Well, I think people like to compare this to the Reagan administration because when President Reagan was in, the administrator and her senior team made some very serious mistakes in terms of looking at making things easier for business instead of really following the mission of the agency and doing it in a way that wouldn't damage business. And so people like to point to it, but I think this is a cut above or below. You know, this is a magnitude change. You know, they're claiming that if you've ever received money from EPA as a scientist, that somehow you're tainted from using your expertise to deal with an issue that you were not actually funded to look at, an independent review using your credentials. And instead, they think that a business person is better situated on the science advisory board than any scientist that's ever received EPA money because somehow they think it's okay to work for an industry that has a vested interest in the issue that's being looked at. Now, it's on its face ludicrous, but as a basic matter, it's not the way science is done. And Congress is doing the same thing. Congress is trying to dictate science. They're trying to say what studies that EPA can consider and can't consider. And I'm hoping the real world is paying attention to that. We looked a bit like a laughingstock in the rest of the world right now because we're out of sync with how peer-reviewed independent science is done. You said that it's not possible for this administration to roll everything back. However, what things ranging from pesticides to water, what things is this administration having an effect on that could have long-term negative impacts on people? Well, you know, uh, the reason why I'm, I'm less worried about the clean power plan, and frankly, the car rules, is because the market is changing. We are moving towards a clean energy future. It's what's cheapest. Coal knows it's not competitive right now in the electricity sector because it, it just needs way too much investment to, to protect public health, and it's not now competing against less expensive natural gas. And in a great way, it's totally not competing against renewables and energy efficiency. So that's sort of moving uh, on its own trajectory. And the same thing with cars. You know, the manufacturers are recognizing that China, because of their investment in batteries and storage and electric vehicles, they're demanding electric vehicles now. And now all of a sudden our car companies are realizing that they're not controlling the market anymore. The world market is being set and that's really electric vehicles that are going to be the winner. And it's about time we stop talking about all of the above and just landed on those issues. So those are changing. But there are many areas where that's not the case. They're not just after carbon strategies in this administration. Fundamentally, they're doing everything they can to undermine the Lautenberg bill, which was the new chemical statute that Republicans and Democrats actually passed in Congress and the industry was excited about. And they're undermining it by undermining the science and by bringing everybody in from the American Chemistry Council and put them into policy positions in the agency. You know, the very thing that led to that bill being done 
which was that people recognized that the federal government was not protecting the public from exposure to toxic chemicals that were in the market today because we had an unworkable statute called Tosca, which really wasn't working. And the American Chemistry Council was faced with a situation where social media was controlling the debate. They were actually pushing on Walmarts of the world to stop having endocrine disruptors in baby bottles. So they needed stability of a government that functioned to protect these markets and make the business community stable. And apparently they've forgotten that now. They've now sort of rolled that back and said, you know, that was a great law, but let's undermine it by putting rules in place that don't exactly do it right. And let's put industry people in charge of the very agencies that are supposed to independently and thoughtfully implement this rule. Flint was one of your, obviously, uh, arguably your toughest mm-hmm. um, uh, moment as administrator. Oh, it was by far. Yeah. What lessons did you learn from that? Some people are already beginning to say that Puerto Rico is becoming oh, another another Flint. Well, Derek, there's, a, I think, a lot of lessons. And you talk about taking something personally. That I took personally. Mm-hmm. What I began to realize is that a lot of the work in EPA in our water program doesn't move at the pace one would expect. And a lot of it is with the structure of who has authority to do what. You know, under our water program, states have primary authority on this, and EPA's role is an overseer. The only thing we really do nationally is set national drinking water standards, but we haven't really changed those since 1997. And so the the statute is not as strong as it needs to be. But it also has to be an understanding that states, you know, are, are struggling to keep up with the environmental challenges they're facing. And when the, when they don't have a strong political infrastructure in the state, pushing them to do good, they're losing money, and they're relinquishing or falling back on some primary responsibilities that we have asked states to take on because of our weakened ability in terms of our budget to oversee. We're not as aggressive as we need to be. And so that's an issue that fell through the cracks. It's an issue where Flint, Michigan was a big city that shrunk. And when you have a water system, one of the worst things you can have is one that's too big because it means that water is sitting there in the pipes. That's when lead can leach out. And frankly, because 60% of the people in Flint, Michigan were below the federal poverty line, which is shocking given what line that is and how low it is, you had a community that wasn't functioning, a community that had an emergency manager come in and at the behest of the governor decided, the governor appoints, I should say, I don't wanna suggest that the governor made these decisions, but the emergency manager decided we can't afford to have water that's really clean, so instead we're gonna try to do it ourselves by going to a system that had not been reviewed and approved. The state just let it go in EPA while they questioned it, We didn't aggressively pursue it in a way that you would expect a federal government to pursue. So, you know, there was failure at all levels. And I think the lesson learned is that this administration really thinks that the federal government is best off if we let everybody do their own thing. Let every state decide to do what they want. Now, it's obvious from a clean air perspective why you don't do that. But from a clean water perspective, it's even more startling. 
You cannot let states that may have political inclinations that they don't really want to tick off their business community or they don't want to think about how to support cities that don't have enough resources to function as a city and instead cut corners that actually end up providing contaminated water into their community. You just can't have that. How much have you heard from career scientists that EPA is to their level of discouragement? What are you hearing, if at all, from career people? Well, Derek, I'm hearing things secondhand because I really feel like this administration could very well punish an employee who is talking to somebody like me. But it's very clear that EPA right now, the career staff are being really excluded from fundamental work that they generally do for every administration and do well, which is to tell them what the law looks like, to tell them what the science looks like, to really provide options so that you can impact your own policies, but not make up your own facts. I was reading a a newspaper article that was talking about a woman that left our chemicals office that was really the career person in charge of that until a political appointee could be there. And she left because she realized that after working for the agency for 38 years, that she had become irrelevant. That to me is heartbreaking. And then you see a lot of the young scientists that we had brought in of late are really seeing that they have a short window to be at the agency because of the way the budget situation is shaping up. Basically, the administration being very clear that they want the agency to be cut in quarters, a third, a half, especially the scientists. They don't want the scientists to be there. So it's not a good place to work right now, and I'm hoping that this administration, um, because as they've been trying to roll back rules, they've taken steps to roll them back, and three times the courts told them that that's not how work gets done. you got to follow the procedures. I'm hoping that they'll realize that what they're doing is highly unsuccessful, and they ought to work with the career staff. There's got to be a way for them to, at this point, embrace the mission of the agency. We'll be back with our interview in a moment. Got Science is brought to you by the Union of Concerned Scientists. You can find us in all the usual places, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. So do you know a government scientist? Well, even if you don't, this is a great time. Actually, any time these days is a great time to thank a government scientist for things like when we sit down to have dinner without being poisoned by our food. We can thank the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Food and Drug Administration for that one. So here's what you can do. Tweet hashtag thankagovscientist to a scientist or science program that your community is benefiting from. And while you're at it, tag your senator. Now let's get back to our interview. Uh, Gina, given uh, what you're hearing uh, from career scientists, uh, what encouragement do you give them at this moment? Um, And what encouragement do you give young men and women uh, in college who want to pursue science careers and see this environment? Well, I just try to explain to them that I understand that things are very uncertain and they're very difficult for people, but this too will pass. You know, we care about science in the United States. We want to actually hear real facts. And scientists are given huge credibility. 
That's what's made America great, is to actually base our decisions on fact and real science. And it will win out. I don't see any waning of interest in younger people in terms of tackling the future, looking at issues of social justice. Young people today are awesome. They are out there inventing new technologies all the time. They have to stick with it and realize that they're in a short-term pause that will not last. It cannot last. And they need to hunker down and still do what they're doing because they're providing the basis for a movement forward when this passes. They got to hang in and they got to know that this is how we've grown a great country here and we're not going to abandon that. Not now, not ever. Yeah. How did you get involved at the point to where you wanted to do this work? I really have no idea, to be honest with you. I went to graduate school and I really wanted to do health work. I was interested in work at community health centers and I started working at the Providence Community Health Centers only I realized that everybody coming in there, it was obvious they had poor nutrition, you know, they had horrible housing. They weren't fundamentally flawed. A lot of them were just facing environmental exposures whether they were indoor or outdoor. And I started to get really enamored with the idea that healthcare has to pay attention to outside influences on health. I think the best education, frankly, I ever had was in UMass Boston because I took social anthropology as, as my major because I loved diversity. I thrive on it. We got 4.3 million comments on the clean power plan, not because it was bad, but because we searched everywhere for every discussion we could have, every disagreement, so that we could forge a path forward that meant something to the majority of people in the United States. That's what democracy is about. Science was a piece of it, but in the end, it's what you can convince the people is in their best interest to do and get behind. So I've never been extreme in designing to the nth degree what I think science tells us is best. <laughs> it's all about how do you motivate people, give them information, move them in the right direction, and have faith that that direction will continue. And that's how government works, and I love it that way, because that it's challenging, but from the ground up, every time I got involved in these things, they were just powerfully engaging and difficult but also powerfully rewarding. It, the way you describe that makes me uh, think about one of the positive aspects of Flint. It made environmental justice a much more talked about, I mean, young people to become part of their who they vote for. And of course, Mustafa Ali now is with the Hip Hop Caucus. Um, do you see that as a permanent thing? Yes, because environmental justice has been with us forever. You know, keeping people down in poverty is in some people's best interest. And it's very difficult to attack that in a concerted way. But the environment does hold people back. Pollution holds people back. And we have to understand that at the national level, you work to get the average down across the nation. That's what the national government does. But it means that all those pockets that have been left behind have to be addressed at the state and local level. And so it's important that people push for that because we have left communities behind. But what's most fun 
about this is it's becoming clearer to everybody. As information is available, as new technologies to monitor technologies like watches that can look at air quality, we will know where those pockets are. We will be able to match those with low income and minority status so you can see where you go and where you have to make improvements. And young people today are just as socially conscious as my generation facing the Vietnam War. I'm so startled by it. You know, I spent my time getting out of government and going into a couple of fellowships at, at Harvard, one at the School of Public Health and one at the Kennedy School. We talked about social justice all the time because they get it and they don't want to actually do anything that advances social inequalities. You just can't do it. And so I have great faith that our sense of social justice is, is something that is inherent in people and that we will make progress. You did state environmental protection under Republican and Democratic yeah. uh, governors. You, in putting together the Clean Power Plan, as well as other rules at EPA, you talked extensively with industry. Is this administration doing sort of untold damage in sending the message to polluters yeah. that you've got a free reign? I actually think they're doing damage to the business community right now. And I think the business community is starting to take a little bit of a deep breath uh, and, and think about what to do here. Because if you just look at why you regulate for pollution in particular, you do it to provide a level playing field. You do it to actually protect that industry from unfounded criticisms that they're somehow harming people if the levels they're achieving follow health-based standards. So you provide protections and a level playing field for the good guys. And there's lots of good guys out there, Derek. I've never considered industry to be an adversary. So there's a reconsideration, I think, among the business sector. And, you know, if you just look at what's happening on climate change, you have 1,400 businesses that are part of America's pledge that have joined hundreds of cities and 20 states to basically say, we're still going to move forward. And if you look at the language of the utilities, just the day after the administration put out its proposal to revoke the clean power plan, or however they call it, you had Southern Company and AEP saying it's not going to change how they're investing at all because the market's already made their choice. So if you think that this administration can convince the community that this kind of uncertainty is good for them, I don't think they'll buy it. I actually think they know the way the world is trending. They know the way that renewables and energy efficiency is winning in the market. They know that electric and autonomous vehicles are the future. You know, they know and industries know that real science dictates that they have to be good to the communities they're around. So I don't think it's the business community that's the challenge here. Partisan politics is the challenge here. And in New England, we knew how to move forward with environmental regulation in a way that grew the economy. If that's all you're looking for, that's not a partisan goal, that's a people goal. You just need to embrace it and you just need to take action. How do you see the path back to something approaching normalcy? 
whatever the normal was when you left the office. Well, you kind of want to do better than any norm, even the one you left. You know, I, I think we worked hard to try to elevate these issues, and I think we just need people to get organized again and to remember, because I think many people are stunned by what's happening at the federal level. And I don't want you to be stunned. I don't even want you to be ticked off. I want you to act. I want you to speak. I want you to have a voice. And we just need to basically remind ourselves that the federal government's not the only player here. If they want to take a pass, they can take a pass for a short period of time. But if we do our job at the grassroots level, in our own homes, in our own communities, in our own cities, in our own states, then we can continue the progress moving forward. And we can have the voice we need to change the way the federal government is looking at this issue. They should not think that by dividing the country and by denying the science, that they won't have blowback from the individuals here that have, have a wonderful life because we've followed the law and science. Well, Gina, thank you so much for your time and appreciate you coming in to the Union of Concerned Scientists. You too, Derek. It's great to be here and to be with you. Thank you. And um, Colleen, back to you. Well, that's it for this episode of Got Science. Many, many thanks to Gina McCarthy. And thanks to journalist Derek Jackson, our correspondent for this episode. Engineering and music by Brian Middleton. Research and writing by Pamela Wirth. Our executive producer is Rich Hayes, and I'm your host, Colleen McDonald. And a few reminders before I go. Don't forget to thank a government scientist. Tweet hashtag thankagovscientist. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to share us with your friends, colleagues, and family. Thanks, and see you next time.